just yeah. a pigeon outside. Just uh, yeah, I'll just I'll just get. Oh, wait, it's two two pigeons. That's all right. Don't worry. I'll just. Okay, let me just. Uh, I'll just go over there. Just clear no that. Worries. There's foot. Wait, it's foot. There's a lot of pigeons out there. Hang on. Let me just. I'll just. Ah ah! My eyes. My eyes. Hello, and welcome to. I'll just do the rest of the podcast with my eyes shut. Welcome yeah, it'll help episode... hold the blood in. <laughs> and the brains. Welcome to episode 107. Is that right? No. Flipping heck, I'm always one behind. What's well, because I can't read my notes anymore. Of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we describe films. Dis- we discuss films. Oh, I really can't read my notes today. Uh, discuss films previously described by other... Um, uh, oppressed by natural forces characters that's, that's one of my weakest ones um, as masterpieces I am Nick the uh, buttoned down um, uh, unflappable blonde of the podcast and I'm joined as ever by Roger <laughs> <laughs> and we are discussing the third in our Hitchcock trilogy um, which you may have guessed by now is Psycho... No, I'm kidding. It's The Birds from 1960-something. Three. Three. 1963. The Birds. So, a very different picture. So, we have previously, if you haven't listened to our uh, two episodes so far on Vertigo, North by Northwest, very different films. We had a kind of psychological uh, mystery story um, slash uh, confessional in Vertigo. And we had the... Well, the genesis of the one of the early modern action films uh, in North by Northwest. Now we have well, what is this? A dark, creeping apocalypse. One of the first apocalyptic. Well, it wouldn't be one of the first. When was on the beach? That sort of thing. But um, a, a, a dark horror film, I suppose. Yeah. Starts um, screwball comedy. In in some ways, it prefigures the na- nature has gone crazy and is trying to kill us of the late sixties, early seventies, but. Well, we'll come back to this. I, I feel that okay. there are basically two films colliding here, and, yes. w- and one of them is done better than the other. Okay. Um, but, but so, my, my notes. Oh, look, it's another female lead with ruthlessly styled short blonde hair. <laughs> very immaculately uh, fashioned, um, a perfect uh, manners, very prim. Uh, but with an undercurrent of sort of sexuality. This must be the first Hitchcock film we've seen with a character like this in. Yeah. Uh, or, all right. I, I did. Once I had met the three significant female characters of this film, I predicted which ones were going to survive purely on the basis of their hairstyles, and I was correct. <laughs> you were correct. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Okay. Well, the bird starts off with um, a. Uh, what do you call that something? A meat, a meat cute? Is that what, what the kids call these? Things? Yes, yeah. she she is in in the bird section of a department store, uh, trying to buy something. Now up. this is a Tippy Hedrin in her first. Uh, I think it's her first film role actually. Um, surprisingly, not her last, <laughs> considering what she went through. Um, uh, she was a model, but I think, uh, yeah, it was her first. First film role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's got an uncredited walk on a few years earlier, but as, as a girl rather than as an adult. Oh, we have um, Hitchcock walking out of the bird store as she walks in, uh, <laughs> in his uh, typical uh, classic cameo. 
Anyway, she she's in there for reason. Um and a good looking guy walks in and the actual uh employee has, has gone off to the back to, to check something and so so she shows she pretends to be the saleswoman. Yes. Uh the, the well, no, nothing being... about birds. Uh no, despite going in a bird shop to buy a bird. Um, but uh, she, oh, well, maybe that's for someone else. Uh, the the good-looking guy is Rod Taylor, who um, I knew more from anything for the Time Machine, but he'd been in a lot of things. Uh, he's actually a return engagement for Ribbon of Memes, because he he's the parody of Churchill in Inglorious Bastards. Goodness me. Oh, I wasn't very impressed with that parody of Church Lab. Well, no, neither was I, but he was a lot older then. Okay, yeah. It must have been one of his last film roles, presumably. But by anyway. leading man standards, I mean, to, by modern standards, he's he's kind of fleshy, but, you know, he carries it off. Yes, yeah. He's, he's certainly got the, the charm and the way. So we have this, um, uh, it turns out she, he's kind of keeps asking questions. She's doing her best to dance around them. Turns out he knows all along that she wasn't an employee. In fact, he's being sued by her. Oh, well, no, that's not true. He's a lawyer and is fighting a case because she likes... Uh, it turns out she's a kind of a, um, uh, a a fart around. Dilettante is the word I'm trying to say. And she uh, enjoys little practical jokes. Um, she's very rich because her dad owns um huge uh, newspaper in... Uh, they're on the West Coast again. All, have all the films been set in California? No, no. North by Northwest. North by Northwest is set all over the place. But... All over the place. But um, we're returning back to uh, San Francisco. Well, it's a visually distinctive place. I mean, considering the number of times Toronto has stood in for New York, Los Angeles, practically anywhere else, it is nice to see a place that looks distinctive, but getting the chance to look distinctive. Well, we get that more uh, later on, um, to some extent, Uh but, uh, yeah, so they have this uh, clearly a frisson of uh, attraction. It, you know, these, this exchange wouldn't be totally out of place in North by Northwest. It would be a bit out of place in Vertigo, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, we have this uh, kind of beginnings of a screwball comedy. Yeah. A romantic comedy. Um, with, with some overtones... Uh, which, well, we'll come back to that. But yeah, that, that's basically what, what it's set up to be. Um, uh, they, they are flirting. It's obvious where, they, where this is going to go eventually, but it's not there yet. And there, there, there yes. are problems that will need to be overcome, TM. <laughs> Spoiler, the film's called The Birds. So um, it's not about the lovebirds. Or is it? Um, so she, on impulse, follows and she takes the... Lovebirds that he was going to go and get. Um, she gets, procures some, takes them to his hotel room, but turns out he's driven off home to. Or, or is it his apartment? I think it's meant to be an apartment. Oh, yeah, it just looks like a hotel, but you're right, it's an apartment, yes. On, on the moment's reflection you've given me, yes, you're right, it's an apartment. So she drives 60 miles up the uh, West American coast uh, to Boy, Boyega Bay? Bodega Bay. Right? Bodega Bay. Um, this uh, call that because yeah, ob- obscure history. And, and, unless you've read uh, the uh, Cage Baker series of time travel stories, uh, it was the site of the first Russian structures built in California. The the, the time when the, the, there were Russian traders all over California at one point. Goodness. Well, 
here, Bodega Bay is a small fishing community by the looks of it. We don't find a huge amount about it. other than I, I think that's pretty much the only industry we see, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, she decides to deliver the, the lovebirds, to, as she's driven all this way, to a uh, handsome man. Uh, uh, the Rod Taylor, who uh, yeah, the, the basic idea is he he was looking for the lovebirds for his younger sister's birthday. Much younger by the looks of it. Yeah. he's eleven. How old's Rod Taylor in this? He looks in his thirties to me, but uh, I don't know quite what the age difference is. He looks closer in age to me to Jessica Tandy, who's playing his mother, than to his sister. Yeah, so but... he would have been thirty, probably thirty-two when this was filmed. All right. Well, I suppose it happens, but he's. Uh, 20 plus years older than his sister but that's fine we go along with it um because uh well because the whole film seems to be a bit about relationships with women maybe i don't know there's a lot of subtext in this film, anyway or at least there's lots so of subtext. She, she yeah so she's decided that this is a good excuse to meet him again she was just going to drop them off at his apartment but he's he's gone up to uh this, this small town for the weekend, so she follows. Not that she's obsessed yes. or anything. Uh, well, well, she's got these birds. Yeah, what's she going to do with them? She, she probably got the minimal packet of bird food, you know? <laughs> exactly, she was just going to drop them over. So she whizzes up, she finds the local school teacher who's going to, um, because he needs, she needs to know the name, because these birds are ostensibly for Mitch's sister, whose name she doesn't know. So she tracks down the local school teacher who happens to be an attractive young uh, brunette, unfortunately, so not... And not her hair brunette. is less ruthlessly styled. <laughs> exactly, it's not, it's not ruthlessly... Yeah, well, the hairstyles seem to come into this more than you might expect, don't they? But this is, um, is it Suzanne Plachette? Suzanne Plachette, um, yeah. Um, probably known for this and uh, Rome Adventure. And she had a, she had a voice role in the spirit in the uh, English language double spirited away, but yeah, one of those yeah ne- never quite made the big star, but had a decent career even so. Which is a shame because you know in a lot of other films she could have been the leading lady here, but she's clearly not the Hitchcockian platonic ideal of a lady. Um, though anyway, uh, she she does introduce us to subplot one A, which yes. is that she used to be. Um, Mitch is involved with Mitch, yes. but uh, couldn't get past the fence of his mother. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, and but she's moved to Bodega Bay anyway, just to be near. Not that she's obsessed or anything with this man, <laughs> <laughs> but she's uh, decided to live out her whole life and career just so she can sort of, I don't know, watch him across the bay and be reminded that he he spurned her or his mother spurned her or something like that. Um, but she plays it very well as a, a kind of a sad, slightly tragic, um, but not uh, not so much jealous as sad um, character. I, I don't think there's ever any suggestion that that uh, she might manage to get back together. And she, mm. as far as she's concerned, that that chapter is closed. And I think as far as Mitch is concerned as well. Yes. So yeah. So she sails across the bay, um, delivers the lovebirds, um, sails back across the bay. Um, Mitch sees her, very excited, um, hot-blooded young gentleman, gets in his uh, uh, his convertible car, which I felt was very heavily signalled as, this car is a convertible, <laughs> this might become a problem later on. Um, 
Yeah, it's the 60s. Everybody's got convertibles. Yeah, okay. Um, And then um, as she uh, lights from the boat, um, uh, she gets punched in the face by a seagull or similar sort of thing, pecked on the head. Yeah, seagulls have many sharp bits. Hmm. I I have a great deal of respect for birds. In spite of their low body mass, they're they're really quite tough. Tell me about it. (laughs) I used to have a parrot that whenever I um, clipped its uh, nails... It would bite the shit out of the massive leather glove that I was wearing and then go, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I I have a healthy respect for birds. Um, And throughout this, there's been a slow, I mean, this is, what's this, 30, 40 minutes of the film at this point? 30 minutes. Something like it. It's It's about two hours all, all up. But it's all been laying down the the romantic story. We um, and and the the slight psychological element to that because we've got um, Annie is uh, obviously she she by by the conventional romantic comedy or screwball comedy ideas she would be the rival for for Rod. Um, yes, she, she's being set up as a possible villain. Uh, Mother is being set up as a possible villain, though Mother also has uh, short and ruthlessly styled hair, so obviously yeah, she's all right. So not, yeah, and I, I think we, I think we are probably assumed by this point to have seen Psycho, which came out three years earlier, and basically mm. everybody saw it. I, I think that that idea of one of these ordinary looking people could be. A a a a murderer is meant to be in our heads, and also you know the whole um, peculiar mother situation with Psycho um, is. Um, but here we have an actual living mother. She has an idea. It's not just ruthless. It's her hair. Her hairstyle is identical to um, <laughs> Tippi Hedren's. It's just older, which is odd. Um, but so Mitch now. So yeah, as you say, Jessica Tandy, who'd been in everything. Approximately. Yes. And will go on to continue to be in everything till she eventually wins an Oscar um, uh, for Driving Miss Daisy, which unfortunately looks rather racist by nowadays standards. But she's very good. Uh, she's very good here. They're all um, they're, they're all very good in this. Um, uh, so now, Mitch, this kind of slightly distant, not desperately likable so far character. I mean, he's not unlikable, but he's not like Cary Grant, really. Um there's seems... what feels to me like a lot of clumsy flirting. Yes. Particularly, not... particularly from him. I mean, she, she is just constantly checking her appearance whenever she has a free hand. But but now he has these three women that are obsessed with him after, I mean, I was going to say after first glance. Presumably his mum had more of a first, more than just a first <laughs> But he has these three kind of women circling round him. Sorry to use <laughs> a bit like um, birds in the sky. Um, three, uh, yeah. So uh, and, uh, and his his sister Kathy, um, who is another returning ribbon of memes actor, of course. Oh, is she? What was she in before? She well, she was not in anything before this that we've seen, but she was in the right stuff and in Alien because this is Veronica Cartwright. Shut up! Is it? <laughs> She's the is she the pilot? Uh, Lambert. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy smokes! Of course it is. I can see it now. <laughs> I oh, was a bit goodness. surprised, but yeah, I, I don't think she's immediately recognisable unless you're looking. But I, I'm normally good at spotting faces. I can see it now. You say it. Oh my goodness! Well, I mean, she, wow. she's she's still a teenager here, so she, she, yeah. Um. Anyway, 
Well, that's interesting. So um, we have this kind of setup for this kind of starts as a sort of a screwball comedy and then seems to be veering into psychodrama, weird romantic territory. Uh, but none of that ultimately matters because then they're all attacked by birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hitchcock does it more artfully than I just did. It <laughs> <laughs> um, what becomes apparent is that this seagull attack is not um, uh, is not the only way that birds have been behaving strangely, and people start to get concerned. And then, while they're discussing it, um, uh, back so. Uh, um, uh, Tippy Hedrin, Menely, Melanie gets invited back um, by Rod to the house where we have a slightly tense meeting with the mother and it's, it gets a bit confusing. But then a load of birds fly down the chimney and attack everyone. Mm. Um, a load of sparrows. Um, and then um, the mother, Jessica Tandy's character, um, Lydia, goes to visit one of her uh, friends on a farm, and he has been murdered during the night uh, by birds. And here is a a film clip that I'm going to show to people when they ask, what should I look like when I've just failed a sanity roll in Call of Cthulhu? (laughs) She's found this mangled body, and she becomes non-verbal and just has to get away. She can can barely even describe what's happened. But it's it's done well because... Uh, we see exactly what has driven her to that, you know, quite graphically and, and um, graphically for this kind of film. But even nowadays, it's quite a graphic view of this um, mangled, uh, uh, desiccated, desecrated corpse um, with the eyes plucked. And there's something about losing eyes that is particularly visceral. Um, and the, this film is, is full of um, kind of oh, the eyes are in trouble kind of attacks, um, mm-hmm. which I suppose is one of the main attacks a bird has, which is fair enough. But yeah, so we understand as an audience why she's behaving like that. We're not thinking, oh, crazy woman, what's wrong with her? You're thinking, holy smokes, no, I totally understand why she is behaving like I that. I mean, we we have seen uh, in, in the course of this podcast and other film watching an awful lot of examples of I have just been terrified by something and this, this is one of the few where I, I genuinely feel yeah that is actually a proportionate reaction to the terrifying thing you've just seen yes it's not um, Willie Scott levels of <laughs> it's a genuine shock I just want to get away from here it's, it's well done and, and the, the film the kind of rising tension of the birds slowly overtaking this slightly weird psychological comedy thing we've been watching, I think is very well done. Uh, I think it's... Uh, and I I got really quite into this. I mean, this is an early example, as you say, but, well, I don't know. I can't think of many films that did this before. There have been a few since where one film gets kind of crowded out by actually something is happening outside. I suppose Titanic is that sort of film, but what's interesting here is that, you know, Titanic is all about... Uh, and Pearl Harbor and all those kind of execrable films that, <laughs> that came out because of it, because um, they're like, oh, our love is tested by these outside events, but we will remain strong and true and, and we'll still be lovers and it'll still be perfect. Whereas here, it's just like, well, no, just forget everything that was happening before. Now they've got to survive the bird attack. It just kind of throws away all the rest of the well, film. Well, to a point... Um... Because we we do con- we do get a conclusion to the psychological story, 
Um, what, once Lydia has been, you know, she's got home, she's been put to bed, uh, Melanie ends up bringing her some tea. Yes. And then they have the, the big explanation scene of, you know, why, why Lydia can't let her son go after, after her husband died and so on. Yes. Which and it is, is actually kind, kind of awkward in, in terms of filming because it, it's a great soliloquy from, from Tandy. I mean, she does a great job of yeah. it, but it ought to be a conversation. Melanie ought to be saying yes and oh, that's, that's so terrible and things. And she doesn't. She just lets her deliver the soliloquy. I agree. It doesn't feel quite earned. It, it feels a bit like, oh, she's been through this huge shock, but, uh, it's hard. It's hard to believe this, this kind of very buttoned down figure that we've seen before. Just sort of unloads all this to this character. But, but also, once work. she has, she has accepted Melanie. I mean, we have heard about Melanie's problem with, you know, one one parent vanishing off and um, the, the whole in, in with a bad crowd, but actually she, she vol- does lots of volunteer work, really, and so yes. on. But Lydia doesn't know that. <laughs> but yeah. but after that scene, all of a sudden Lydia can accept Melanie and, and you know, it, it, it's it's all okay. And Melanie has not done anything in that scene to make that yeah, transition. To, to earn that. It doesn't feel quite... It feels... Yeah, I suppose that's what I mean in a way, that it feels... Although you're right, it is a denouement of sort. It feels a bit more dispensed with rather than a satisfying conclusion to that plot thread. Um, the other plot thread, of course, ends fairly abruptly because... Um, we have, and I, I do, this is where I, uh, Hitchcock earns his Master of Suspense thing, because uh, the whole school scene to me is, is fantastic. You know, we have this slightly weird, uh, they're all singing in the background and it's overrun, and, and she, so she goes to the school because um, uh, Lydia's worried about the big windows in the school, um, because it's they're really worried that the birds are attacking everyone at this point it was just about possible um well you're supposed to think or at least the screenwriter um what's his name evan something or other uh said uh, at this point you're still supposed to think that maybe uh melanie's presence could be something to do with why the birds are attacking but i wasn't thinking that at all partially because of the the farmer on his own he got killed by birds in the night yeah it's it's a separate earlier thing happened instantly evan hunter uh Originally Salvatore Lombino, also known as Ed McBain, who wrote the uh, a, a long series of eighty seventh precinct police procedurals. Oh, is that the same guy? Yeah, fascinating. Um, anyway, uh, so I wasn't particularly thinking Melanie was the cause of all this, um, but she goes to the school, um, and that, that I, to, to me, this is a great tension of. Um, She's, she goes out to have a cigarette while, um, and so we have the two kind of ostensible rivals because we have Annie as the school teacher. Mm. Um, and then we have this, again, to me, I do think it is a, a masterful scene where she's just sitting smoking and it gradually becomes clear, and she's not really paying attention, even though she should, that the whole playground is absolutely full of. Uh, I think it, it, it's fair to call them a murder of crows at, the, <laughs> at this point. Um, they, it just flits from one or two flitting onto the climbing frame to just absolutely plastered in a ridiculous amount of birds. Um, I just think that is incredible. And then, and then it's uh, all that tension is released with the kids running from the school. I don't know. I mean, was that really safer? <laughs> than staying in the school. I'm not sure, but it's understandable that they're just trying to get them away. Um, and al- although it, it, do- it doesn't 
look much to modern eyes. This, this is one of the big effects sequence. Um, well, it's good of, in well, the sense... Of effects crew A, because there were two separate effects crews working on this. Uh, this is uh, Works, who, who was uh, working for Disney at the time. And he, he basically used surgeon vapor processor, in, in effect, yellow screen, as, as a way of getting a- accurate matting so you, you can get a, so you don't have the a, film of the, the... a film of the birds and then transparency so you can lay it on top of the other footage. Oh, so it doesn't have that obvious kind of, we have laid this on top of this. Yeah, well, and I mean, it, it had to be done that way because you know, the birds are flapping their wings. So it, it's all moving very fast. So tracing around them individually would be would be very hard to do. I mean, I uh, I would say that's a, a good, uh, you know, you say it doesn't look mm. much to modernise, but I think to me... It, it, it doesn't leap out and say, oh, wow, look at these effects, man, the way it was I supposed to in the day, but it, it does look naturalistic, I agree. Well, that's it, it doesn't feel like an effect scene in a way. What it feels like is they're being attacked by a ton of birds. Um, and I, I think it works really well. And then seeing the kids run down, and again, we have them flying dangerously close to their eyes, and then suddenly... Um, uh, they're in a lot of peril, and they they jump in the, the uh, uh, in the car. I thought she was going to let the handbrake off and just roll down the hill. Mm. But, um, seemed like a good idea, but yeah, she was she's in a bit of trauma. But I, that whole sequence of the school sequence, I I was really invested. I was really I liked both the female, you know, T.P. Hedren um, uh, and uh, Susan Plachet. They both they're kind of friends as well that the films are stamped their friends and they sort of a mutual respect even though they're not quite rivals but there's a tension there I think. Mm. Um, and then the kids in peril I don't always respond to kids in peril um, particularly not in like the Star Wars prequels and that sort of thing. <laughs> but here I, I did feel well the, these are not chosen one kids these are just random kids who are in the wrong place at the wrong time that, that does actually help for me uh, yeah yeah uh, uh, you genuinely feel the Fear, I think. Um, I, I thought it was a very effective scene. It really did work for me. Um, so, as far as the rising tension and then this sudden horrifying release, and then we've had a few before, but then this one was the one where it really started to. I felt very infested. Not infested. They're possibly infested. They, they do have um, flat, flat flies on them. Um, yeah, it, it really works for me. I was really interested. I didn't need Rod Taylor in that. You know, Rod Taylor's nowhere to be seen in the mm. whole sequence. Um, that's great. I really like that bit. Um, yeah, and there there was a thing, and it, this is several of the same people working on it. There, there's, it's turned up in several of the Hitchcocks, and now this is this is the last of this group. I think it's possibly worth mentioning that they, this whole um, back projection compositing thing looks to me much more artificial than simply having some flats in the studio. And the the one that particularly struck me was uh, at the children's party. So the, the children are down oh, down yes, in the this, yes. garden of the house. Yeah. Um, and Mitch and Melanie are up on a sand dune talking about her tragic past. Yes. And it is so very obviously, here is the sand dune in the studio, and over there is the brat projected map painting. Yes. It, it, I mean, I, I've I've watched a lot of older films than this, and I, uh, they don't usually haul me out of it in the in the way that this particular maybe the sort of uncanny valley thing because it's almost right, but it it's just right. the visual quality is just it's here and over there are different. I, I don't think, know if that's a film grain thing or a color balance thing. I, yeah, it just leapt out at me because you know there's similar scenes in Sierra Madre where they're obviously on a studio, but it doesn't 
for me at least doesn't hit me as hard and i think the color makes a big difference there that the the lighting and the color just doesn't look quite natural mm. for a, for a sunlit day um i suppose if you compare that to uh, our last episode north by northwest which really you know there's none of that it feels like a studio it's all that's all outside um well i, I think a lot of it was on location yes. so but you're right i i absolutely agree the second that comes up it doesn't need any moving or anything even seeing a still from that moment it just looks like a studio i agree and maybe it's because the rest of the film a lot of it is you know in the town and long shots or in a mm. house where it's less obvious but that's one of the few maybe outdoor shots where it maybe the others were on a studio but i agree that really does look feel like a studio lot yeah fair point but uh, yeah so Clear, clearly there is something wrong and then they end up in the diner and th- this is where i realized that what the what the part two film was trying to be and isn't being to my mind which right. is a a 50s science fiction monster threat film <laughs> yeah because in that yeah you you might well start similarly with you know the these one or two isolated attacks are happening and then it gradually gets worse and then the important people gather together and work out what's going on and what to do about it and the diner scene is occupying that slot in the narrative. But here it has people bickering. And they don't work out what to do about it. And in fact, they never work out what to do about it. All they do is escape. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it becomes a sort of accusatory. But that works That works well for me as well. It feels more real. People just trying to... Well, the thing is, I, I like the 50s horror film format. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yes, I do. It's, this is the moment where you get the exposition of, um, well, it's something to do with the tides or the magnetic field of the Earth. But no one really knows. In fact, most of them don't believe that. It's, um, it's not even established whether it's wider than the local area or not. No. Uh, and it's, um, by the time anyone in the diner really does believe it, it's too late because the petrol petrols have exploded petrols that's what you say um uh, <laughs> petrol tanks have exploded and people have been killed and it then becomes yeah i, I can on... say from personal experience by the way that a puddle of petrol does not go up with a bang like that it goes up with a lovely singing whoosh as the flame <laughs> front moves through the area of uh, uh stoichiometric correctness and uh, the the actual uh, flame spreads rather more slowly than you'd expect it to Roger's pyromaniac corner has made it. Oh, the, the entire world is my pyromaniac corner. <laughs> oh, uh, it, it is a little unfortunate, and it's not Hitchcock's fault or anybody's fault involved with this film, but I have seen Maximum Overdrive, Stephen King's sole that's, directorial effort. That's that You've only got yourself to blame there, Roger, I'm afraid. It's true, it's true. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Okay, well... <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to do a ribbon of memes on that. Uh, maybe in April, the first one. Goodness. Um, anyway. Yes, we have some cars unreasonably exploding. That's true. Uh, I mean, not only does that car explode, that everything else explodes that it is. On this it's chaos. The point is, it's chaos. The birds mm-hmm. have attacked. It's chaos. So the birds have a, a frenzied attack for a long period of time. Um well, it feels like a long period. And again, it it feels really... What I like in this... So we have um, uh, uh, Melanie runs into a phone booth. Um, and and this, she, this is the number one effect sequence that, that uh, got the most effort put into it. Well, it, it, I mean, again, it doesn't feel like an effect scene. It's just... Um, but yeah, you can see, because it's, it's basically they attack the town at this point. But she, mm. what I liked about it is she 
tries, I think it's three times to get out of the phone booth and she's just beaten back by the front. And you see the ferocity of the bird. I hmm. am slightly frustrated later on when, I don't know, Rod, Rod, I was about to say Rod Hull then. I've got birds on the, <laughs> birds on the frame. <laughs> he would have been a great addition, Rod Hull and Emu turning up, beating the birds <laughs> on. Um, but Rod Taylor just sort of strides through that and pulls her out um, because however strong and uh, powerful and uh, uh, self-assured Hitchcock women are, they generally need a big powerful man to come and, and rescue them and pull them out mm-hmm. of whatever danger they're in. Um, that does seem to be a, something of a Hitchcock pattern. Can't imagine why. Um, yeah, I, I do find the this this sequence actually did feel slightly overstretched to me. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is right on the edge of what is technically possible. They they needed um, two crews working eleven hour days for six weeks, right, to put it all together. Yes, and I don't know. It just doesn't quite grab me the way it's clearly meant to. I think possibly because it's framed as this is going to grab you. Uh, well, so, so I perceived it anyway. It just didn't yeah. quite. I, I, I was too, too much saying, yeah, this doesn't actually quite work. Sorry, guys. I, th- I suppose for me, the the school scene worked much worked better. Uh, and when I talk about that scene, it's funny you mention it because I sort of forgotten all the outside things and people falling over and the fire. En- so we have the fire engine turning up and they start spreading and then they get t- knocked over by bird. Uh, yeah, when I say it really works for me, what I'm really thinking about is her trapped in the phone booth and mm. the, the immediacy of the glass cracking and the danger she's in. Uh, and I'm talking it through, I agree, the rest of the... Uh, yeah, it's a bit too much and I don't need it. I, I'm happier with the, just the power of her being trapped there. Mm. And that's why it spoiled it a bit that he just comes on and pulls her out in the end. I, what I, re- I, li- I really like that she's kind of trying to get out and then she tries again. It's, she's not giving up. She's doing her best, but she can't get out. Um, but yeah, on, on reflection, talking it through, I agree with you. This doesn't work as well. It feels a bit too... It never... I, it doesn't look fake to me. It, I never feel like, oh, this is a silly thing. But it just... Uh, I was less interested in the, in this attack. After some of the other stuff that has worked much better, it yeah it doesn't it just doesn't quite blend in for me. Yeah, I think so, that's fair. After a brief bout of seagull wrestling, we're back at the house, um, and they they barricade themselves in. Not very well, though. I have to say, no. you know, I'm, I'm well, you know, a uh, sparrow's got clever films. little clever little beaks and claws. So, well, I had to check with you because uh, this is where it. it this to me was really working as like this is a strange thing now everything else has been pushed out of the way really and now we've just got to survive the birds and I I, I, I thought it I think it had established the threat very well and they were well aware of it but then why weren't why weren't they securing the house better? I don't. To mm. me, I, I was, I suppose, Night of the Living Dead. They don't take much prompting before they start hammering planks across the walls and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and they haven't been through quite what these guys have been through. Well, they, they, they seem to be doing it. They're just not doing it terribly well. No, no, Mitch is not. Um, he's not a very effective action hero in a lot of ways, Mitch. Um, he's he's. He's not really much of a protagonist, and I feel like Melanie's in the film much more in a way. Mm. But what I find disappointing is that she still, whenever Mitch is around, then she's like, oh, okay, the man's here, now I can relax. Um, so I think things grad, grad, there are gradual break ins and so on. And I think one 
big sequence here, and this is another one that that um, I think stayed with a lot of people. Uh, he is asleep, I think. Yes. Every, everybody's asleep. Uh, Kathy hears something scraping about upstairs and goes on her own to the attic. Yeah. And what I was thinking was, okay, you think that room might be full of birds. Hmm. What is your plan if that room is full of birds? Yes. And this, and, and how, how is it helped by your actually opening the door that is between you and the birds? Uh, and then shutting the door behind you, so now you're on the other side. And then I, pressing back against it so, so, that, so that your rescuer can't easily get in to rescue you. I will admit I was disappointed by it. It felt like a kind of a classic kind of more modern horror film at this point in that the the protagonist is doing something where you're like, why are you doing this? And it, it's frustrating because, yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense. Um, and she, also, I'm aware, also this took me out of it because I'm aware this is the scene uh, that is controversial because this is the one where Hitchcock promised Tippi Hedren there will be mechanical effects in animation and there will be no actual birds and then he spent like three days throwing actual birds at her for this scene um, and it mm-hmm. was thoroughly unpleasant and I just uh, to me I'm watching it thinking was it worth this this poor person going through this so I can watch this disturbing bird kind of semi-rape sort of thing going on but she also sort and of... That, that's without the accusations of what was going on between uh, Hitchcock and Hedron Yes, well, I think that comes later with Marnie when he actually sexually assaulted her, according to Tippi Hedren. But um, uh, everything I've seen about Hitchcock <laughs> makes me not doubt that particularly. Yeah. Um, but uh, also, it's it's disappointing because this scene is kind of the end of Melanie, really, as an interesting character. She she doesn't die, but she then does nothing else and is largely comatose for the rest of the film. Uh, such that it is, because there's not a lot of film left. But so, so they it. they sneak out to the to the garage, get into the car, and get away. And that's it. The film ends um, with with uh, the birds sort of in charge, and it is an ambiguous ending. Um, it's one of those them there are ambiguous endings where it finishes. But well, so Kathy's Ka- lovebirds haven't attacked anybody at any point. Yeah, so they take them with them. Roast so traitors, yeah. obviously. <laughs> so, um, as I see it, that last scene is less interested in we're escaping from the birds, and more interested in both Lyd- Lydia and Melanie have now been psychologically broken in front of each other, so they can accept each other. Yeah, they're sort of friends in that last scene, aren't they? Um, uh, and Rod Taylor doesn't really have any kind of character development or change in it. I mean, he's interesting enough in it, but he doesn't really do anything at this point they they are kind of they've not quite confessed their love for each other but they're 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 clearly something of an item but they're They're the right sort of age and not directly related to each other you know shrug (laughs) (laughs) and it's the apocalypse or is it we don't know i mean there's suggestions on the radio that bird attacks are continuing well Uh, not not really outside the immediate area now in in the du story that this is loosely based on uh it is quite explicit that it's all the birds everywhere in the world now, I've read that story, or rather, I've listened to the audiobook by um, <laughs> Peter Capaldi. Um, he does a great job with it, actually. Um, uh, I really like I really like both versions. I'm, I'm a sucker for Apocalypse film, and it, it kind of sounds silly. What I like about the birds, both types, is that it, it really brings home 
what what would be horrible about this sort of thing? You know, the, the unique characteristics of birds as an apocalyptic bringer, uh, as opposed to just random aliens or whatever. Yeah. Well, it makes it it's it's different to you know zombie films or whatever, and, mm-hmm. which would become much more prevalent after this. Um, and I do I do wonder if I I'm sure Night of the Living Dead was in some way influenced by the apocalyptic feel of it. As you say, it may be it's just you know this film was influenced by a real life event of uh, seagulls attacking people, um, but they turned out to have uh, eaten some poisoned algae um, and got brain uh, brain disease brain damage. Uh, there's a hit. That's my uh, classic <laughs> veterinary knowledge coming ahead. I don't do a lot of bird work uh, in my defence, but it was some kind of. It wasn't ergotism, but it was some kind of uh, algal. Well, I, I, I believe you may have commented in your excellent book that uh, a lot of the literature on birds says sacrifice one of the flock and do an autopsy and, and work out what 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 was wrong with it from that, which does not help when it's one person's individual pet bird. Yes, that's true. Yes, yeah, that was uh, very much my uh, chicken lectures. Um, uh, people with a parrot tend not to appreciate you uh, sacrificing their bird to find out what was wrong with it in the first place. Um, but there we go. The, uh, so it, it ends on this um, ambiguous note. Now, I personally don't... Ambiguous endings sometimes work for me, sometimes don't. This works all right for me here, partially because I... I'm not sure what else... And I think Hitchcock's right. I'm not sure what else I'd need to see at this point... I don't need this to turn into a gritty survival horror film. The the thing I felt was specifically missing was any sort of resolution of the horror story beyond We Escaped. Now, you can do that. Yes. There, there are horror stories that are like that. You know, we we went to the old haunted mansion and, and we escaped with our lives. Yes. Um, but here, this is one of those, the whole world is now the haunted mansion. Or at least the whole town. Yes. Uh, and it doesn't quite resolve... The, I mean, it resolves it in some ways because Annie gets killed, um, so she's no longer on the scene, <laughs> and they are an item, and uh, the women Get, around... gets killed protecting Kathy. Let us know. Yes, yeah. I mean, the women around Mitch are kind of thus reconciled, and they can both happily be obsessed with him, uh, such that it is such that they would be. Um, but I agree. It's it's there's something about it that isn't narratively satisfying. I suppose in some ways. Uh, even the first time I watched The Birds, I think this was maybe the third time I've seen it, I knew it had that kind of ending, mm. so I was prepared for it. And I think if I if I wasn't prepared for it, like, spoilers for No Country for Old Men, that is a similar sort of, oh, we've stopped now. Um, uh, that is a well, also, also, similarly to North by Northwest, that whole, okay, plot has ended, Let, let's wrap it now before we have to start another reel of film. <laughs> exactly. North by Northwest does it with a knob gag, though, so that's, that's yeah. fine. Um, I think it kind of works. And I know Hitchcock had trouble with the resolution here. I I think he was masterful at the rising tension and the, the horror of the bird attack. I'm not sure where else there is to go. And I suppose I, I would cite, you know, The Walking Dead as an example of be careful what you wish for, because... Uh, the interesting bit is when society's collapsing and, and when the people are put through it in the first place. So The Walking Dead is basically someone who's clearly scarred by the birds or these films that end before before they <laughs> wanted them to. And they want to say, like, no, let's see what happens if you follow this apocalypse right through and you follow it and you see what happens. Well, ultimately, it's not that interesting. Well, I, I watched the first few episodes of the TV series. I believe it's uh, comics originally. 
yeah. And yeah. basically, it, it does the classic thing of having the guy in a coma, so he doesn't know what's uh-huh. going on while the, while the actual fall of society is happening, and he yeah. wakes up and society has already fallen. So, in essence, after that, it, it, it's the human stories of politics and factional infighting and, and raids and all, all that, but with the zombies as a background threat. Well, exactly. And ultimately, if that's what you're interested in, humans uh, building society, that's fine. But that's what all these stories eventually become, if society has collapsed. Um, or they like the road, where everyone just slowly dies. And it's really which, which I think <laughs> is also the case in the Demuria as well. And there's certainly no, no particular hope. You know, here's, the, here's this guy and his family in the barn. The birds are gradually breaking through the door. Yes. So. Uh, yeah, it also has an ambiguous, but much less hopeful. Uh, and and in that one, it is explicitly, you know, the, the radio has stopped broadcasting. This is yeah, ha- this yeah, is clearly happening everywhere, and they are probably all going to die in the Di Maria story. Um, mm. But it uh, it works well. But it is a short story, which is a very different thing. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, also okay. So we should probably that's the film. The uh, unlike North by Northwest, this film does feel like there are subtext and things it's trying to say or it's it's or, it's or are they that was the problem well, and th- there's a bit uh after the first attack uh lydia is explaining to the to is it, i think it's the chief local chief of police or something of that sort you know yeah this this terrible thing happened hmm. and melanie who was there isn't backing her up and saying yes it really did happen when he's obviously disbelieving her She's just yes. standing there in the background. Now, again, maybe, maybe that was because the director said, I want you to have your soliloquy here. Or maybe it wasn't. I, I, I wish I knew what the intention was there. Is, is it, in fact, Melanie slightly undermining Lydia just by not backing her up? Or yes. isn't it? Or is it... A, well, uh, this is why I dislike kind of... <laughs> I don't want to become a kind of uh, what's Garth Marenghi's line. I've met writers who use subtext, and they're all cowards. Um, mm. <laughs> it's um, uh, my feeling about a lot of um, uh, reading into subtext of sexuality, and the birds are actual women surrounding Rod, or the birds are the forces of nature attacking everyone. Um, my problem is if you're vague about this stuff. Um, then people can read into that what they like and feel clever about it and feel that you were very clever to put stuff in that you never did. And I have had that with some of my books, actually. I've had people (laughs) read very confidently things that I in no way meant, but not believe that I didn't mean them. And just So I've had sort of personal experience of how Hmm. people can read subtext into something and, and find it, find themselves right it, it becomes a bit of a self kind of an Ouroboros circle where everyone's just eating each other and I, I don't find it that interesting to be like well are do these women represent the three circles are, are the birds representing sex or I just to me just say what you mean I don't, I don't, well I fancy uh, a shag yeah <laughs> no they'd attack you they're dangerous birds they're very big um uh, so I don't have a high tolerance for a lot of, and some films, some, and so, sometimes it can be in the service of story, in the service of characterization. And yes. it, it, here, I don't think it is. And if I could say, you know, yeah, yes, that is happening because later, um, Melanie says, 
I was trying to undermine you because I don't, I couldn't trust you at first or something like that. Yeah. Then he would say, yes, here, here was that subtle bit of foreshadowing. But there's no suggestion later on that Melanie was trying to under, undermine Lydia. Yeah, so it doesn't go anywhere. And similarly, you know, if we're supposed to read this in a metaphorical sense, you know, the writer was like, oh, you're supposed to think Melanie was maybe the cause of all... Well, I never did, because that doesn't make any sense. There, there are several places where it's explicitly pointed out that there was stuff happening before she arrived in town, yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to read these from a sort of a literal point, which is why I had a hard time with Mulholland Drive. And I feel similarly <laughs> there, you know, if you're going to be vague and uh, people will read, particularly when you're doing dream logic or whatever, people can read. I just, I haven't got a lot of time for all that nonsense. It, <laughs> it can work for me, but I need to be in sympathy with it in advance. And that that's, yes. that, that's a personal reaction to a particular film rather than they got this particular thing right or wrong. So, you know. Well, I, d- I did have tolerance for it in Vertigo. With Vertigo I feel like that's a very personal film by Hitchcock and it's saying all manner of interesting things about his behaviour towards women and his view towards women and it feels to me, and maybe I'm reading too much into that, that he's kind of almost confessing or apologising something about how he feels towards women and he's trying to explain how it is for him. But when you're trying to read more into these birds are attacking people. Birds, that's another name for women, isn't it? Eh? What about that? I just, I don't... Uh... Once they get their hooks into you, etc. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, on a subtextual level, the film doesn't do a lot for me, the bird. But as a horror film, as a rising tension film, it does work for me, and I was into it, and it did grip me, and I did... Uh, care about the characters, particularly Melanie, I think, and Annie. I, I didn't have a lot of sympathy for Rod Taylor's character, um, Mitch. Um, I don't know why, particularly. There's nothing unpleasant about him. I just He's a pretty uninteresting well, character. Well, we, we, we get this thing with, uh, from, from Annie about, you know, how he's fixated on his mother and uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's said explicitly, but it, but it seems and here is an example of, of subtext working well. It, it seems pretty clear that Annie couldn't get Lydia's approval, and therefore the reaction, therefore the relationship broke up. Yes, yeah. Um, but then that doesn't really. We we don't see his side of that. We see Melanie getting Lydia's approval, but we don't see really much of the internal relationship between uh, Mitch and Lydia. No, well, I, I guess so. I... I feel like there's a number of layers of subtext, and some of them work well when they the subtext is really we're just commenting on a subtle thing without within the film. I think that does work well. Where I lose patience with it is where it's like trying to say, "Oh, and aren't birds a bit like uh, the menstrual cycle or something like that?" I just, <laughs> uh, but I I I agree. This film kind of technically passes the Bechdel test in that we have women talking about other things. But I have to say, it feels like whatever they're talking about, they're always talking about Mitch in some way or another. So, well, I'm not mm. sure. It, I'm not sure it really gets a, a proper pass on that. Uh, yeah, it has. It feels like slightly weird view of women and Mitch. And I don't know if the birds are supposed to be a metaphor for anything particularly. But to me, I just read them as, oh no, the birds are attacking. Mm. I feel like if, <laughs> if there are metaphors to be read, it's probably better done in Dawn of the Dead, where it's a metaphor for consumerism, or in Night of the Living Dead, where it's kind of a dis- slight discussion on racism and tolerance. Um, 
uh, I'm not sure the bird does it terribly well. So, But I am aware there have been many long, drawn-out essays about quite what the meaning of the birds is and all the underlying tensions and things and I, I well just, yeah I, I mean we we started with uh, we started this podcast uh, with with david thompson's have you seen oh yes, yes. and and he uh, he definitely feels that the the implication is that the birds are attacking because of the sexual tension with melanie he yeah. also describes this as hitchcock's last unflawed film so um, okay <laughs> Uh, well, that I think that it's that kind of thing that irritates me. I'm afraid that I just, to me, I take it on a very literal level. Birds are attacking. <laughs> and I, yeah. Uh, I don't find it that rewarding to see. Oh, I wonder what Hitchcock meant by this, and I wonder if. Uh, and the, I think we have seen other. And again, as I say, Vertigo works for me on multiple levels, even though it didn't quite work. It, it, it has more interesting things to say intentionally or not, about Hitchcock's view on women. Um, I don't yeah, know. I, well, but... if, if we broaden out a bit, so we, we have now seen these three. Yes, yes. Let's um, talk about... the, these are the only Hitchcocks I have seen. Right. Uh, and, okay, I'm, 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 not a, I'm not a convert. I'm not, I'm not going to say greatest director ever. I do, I do like some of what he's done. Um, yes. From a technical point of view, I think North by Northwest is great. Yes. And, uh, as we said in that episode, I, I won't repeat it here. There, there, are, there are bits that work really well, and other bits that don't. In terms of interesting and deep film, I think I think I'm with you. Out of these three, it's, it's Vertigo. Yeah, I, I think which, which I, is uncomfortable in in many places, but it, but it holds together and 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 it, it knows what it's saying, and it feels honest um, when it's trying to be. Now, I I thought I'd uh, Hitchcock was one of the directors. I thought, oh, I'd really really like um and I, but i when we talked about which films to go for my favorite hitchcock is rear window which again has all manner of weird things about him voyeurism as does vertigo um but but also the the, the guy who is normally a reasonably active guy who is unable to be active for whatever reason as in vertigo uh and um uh oh no i've I, Grace Kelly obviously doesn't really fit the mould of the, uh, the, <laughs> the Hitchcock. Women. She does. I'm joking. Um, she's uh, very much the platonic ideal, even of Hitchcock women for Hitchcock. Um, uh, and Rope, I, I do enjoy a lot as well. These three films, it's been interesting to to watch them in succession because uh, they're very different. They're all very different films. They're all, to me, distinctively Hitchcock, mm. um, uh, and that. Maybe I didn't appreciate it before. I, I do think it brings some problems as well as some uh, virtue. I mean, I feel like with Hitchcock, like you know you're in the hands of someone who absolutely knows how to do cinema. But you could say the same about Tarantino. That doesn't always necessarily translate to a, an enjoyable experience. Also, like Orson Welles, he is going to be quite happy to lie to you in service of getting the reaction he wants. Uh, yes, absolutely. Particularly in... Um, North by Northwest, it feels like it's just going to pull the strings and, 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 t- and take you on a roller coaster ride. Um, of the three films, um, and I think they've all got significant virtues, um, the one I personally enjoyed the most is this one, The Birds, even though it is flawed and it's difficult uh, and it ends uh, unsatisfyingly. It's the one that I felt most invested in and i think that's largely down to the school scene where mm. i just really felt heart in mouth 
Oh my god! Um, and that uh, it takes for a cynical, <laughs> cynical <laughs> side. Um, increasingly cynical, having watched more films. That, that I got to appreciate. He was very good at what he did. For me, I, I, I find this the weakest of them. You know, okay. North by Northwest at one extreme of the relatively mindless action, and Vertigo of the relatively uh, complicated psychology. Mm, and yeah, the, this is it, it, it's trying to do a bit of one. It's trying to do a bit of the other. And I, 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 this is why I, I think I was getting the, the whole impression of the effects being, look at this, we did this incredibly hard thing to do. Yes. Because the, the pacing slacks off to so you can enjoy the effects scene. Yeah. As okay. opposed to, oh. well, you know, this is, this is happening and then, then it's happened and go on to the next thing. Particularly in the town attack. And, and uh, I, I agree that the final, Scene with Tippy Hedren uh, getting attacked in the attic um, doesn't really work and isn't really true to her character and um, yeah it's fair enough but still it's the one I responded to most emotionally maybe because I've been attacked more by birds in my life than I would like, <laughs> than I would like. Uh, that might have something to do with it I think he does it what could be frankly a ridiculous concept. I think he does, mm. uh, by he, I mean Hitchcock, does a good job of um, bringing the fear, as does the Daphne de Mario story. Yeah, I mean, being fair, it, it could be ridiculous, you know, here are these tiny birds, they're obviously harmless, and I, I at least never got that feeling while watching the film. Yes, yeah. But as you said, as a broader feeling, it's interesting, I'm, I'm glad you liked Hitchcock. Would you agree with the general opinion that he was a master of cinema, or do you have uh, flaws compared to other... Well, not no flaw, but would you agree with that general opinion? Not on the basis of what I've seen so far. I mean, okay. there are bits that work very well, uh, and there are bits that really don't, and yeah. that's true of a lot of directors. That Yeah. I think of the three films we watched, the one that really shows me that he, he was very good at his craft is North by Northwest. Um uh, they, they, they certainly each have things to say, and I won't be surprised if, if I find myself rewatching them at some point. Uh, that's true uh, of all of them. Now, interestingly, we didn't watch Psycho. Uh, we didn't watch my favourite Rear Window. I'm almost a bit nervous to go back to Rear Window now. I wonder if I, I wouldn't enjoy it as much as I, I did. But I'm slightly surprised to find that I found them all of the films significantly flawed. And I, I think, frankly... Um, you know, what did what did David Simon say? That, um, this is, this is Hitchcock's last perfect film. Last unflawed film. That's unflawed uh, in, in Have You Seen. That's a pretty broad. Well, at, at the same time, he's he's saying it is uncomfortable, deliberately so, and and a, and a sense of voyeurism. So but one thing we haven't mentioned on the birds specifically, um, there's no soundtrack to speak of. It's the or the the musical quality of the the flapping of birds. Oh. Is, well, there's, I'm going there's to an have electronic to sound. Yeah. Well, uh, there's an electronic soundtrack, but it is bird noises, basically. But they're used almost like a musical instrument. Oh uh, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of source music. Yeah, um, the it was the mixtur tritonium, which is what, what an, an early uh, electronic musical instrument that, okay. was, that was used to, for most of those uh, bird calls and noises and so on. It, it's base. It's it's a 1930 um, design. Okay. Uh, it's basically electromechanical. 
oh, I like the sound of that. That makes me think of a big steam, steam-driven steam machine in someone's basement. And it, uh, it starts off with neon tube oscillators, and then then they switch over to thyrotrons later, and then eventually transistors, which, you know, I mean, anybody can use transistors once they've been invented. So is it, is it some, a distant cousin of a theremin, that sort of thing? No, no, it, it, it's, it's a keyboard instrument. Well, okay. uh, using well, using the term loosely. Uh... Okay. Well, I, uh, I, I like it anyway. I, I think it's not... Uh, it doesn't have a... Um, a soundtrack designed to like give you an emotional experience, other than these sounds. Like it's playing with the musical qualities of birds um, and mm. sound. You could mistake it for real bird noises. Um, I've, uh, but my overall thread of, of Hitchcock was yes, I, I've slightly gone off him a bit watching these three films, and I, I think maybe because uh some of his neuroses are a bit on, more on display than I would like in these films mm. um it does get a bit tiring watching him thrust his ideal version of a woman into your face again and again yeah i, I guess it yeah, to we, to be fair we we have been watching these films in quick succession when they came out several years apart but uh, it, the the same the sameness does become very obvious yeah, and uh, uh, for annoying, really, as if uh, it seems to be saying, you know, if you don't look like this, and it really is look like this, mm. then you, you're not a perfect woman, and that gets a bit tiring, I think, after a while. Um, so it was interesting, we started with Vertigo, which uh, is all about that. <laughs> and possibly uh, that sensitised me to, to it in, in other places, but... Uh... But I, I do think he's a master of his... Uh, what do I mean, a master of his craft? I, I do, I do understand why people say that, and I, he has certainly worked for me. And I think he was versatile within his limited areas, and that he, he kept having. I think what frustrates me a bit about Hitchcock is all these little motifs and all the things that recur just feel a bit like meaningless signatures, like his little cameo, like his, uh, like his ideal woman, like the wrong man motif. They just kind of pointless thing. They don't have any meaning in and of themselves. They're not. It's not, for instance, like Philip K. Dick, who explores philosophical ideas to me that are always like of identity and reality and what is true. Because he had serious trouble with that himself. Exactly, but it's they're interesting questions to me. Whereas Hitchcock, cropping up with some dogs pulling him along, or getting off a bus, or oh, here's his uh, blonde woman again, or. Here's this landmark. They, they they feel more like signatures on the bottom of a painting that don't mean anything in mm. and of themselves. And I I feel like that artifice has shown itself to me a bit watching these three films. Yeah, the, this of course I, it, it's worth considering is probably the purest uh, of them in terms of the Hitchcock influence because of, after Psycho made all the money. Uh, yes. He basically got he he could make any decision he wanted because he was clearly making the right ones to make lots of money. And then, so apparently, he was in decline after this, according to David Simon. I I would strongly argue this is not an unflawed film. The birds, um, none of them mm. are unflawed. The closest to unflawed, I think, would be North by Northwest, in that it does exactly what it sets out to do. But and e- the- even that is not you know none of these is the only film of its type I would ever watch again. Yes, uh, and that yes, that's a good point. It doesn't make other films seem pointless. Um and I uh, I don't want to get too involved with 
the uh, we haven't talked much about Hitchcock himself in the same way that we didn't talk too much about you know the significant flaws of H.P. Lovecraft when we did our Lovecraft films. But Hitchcock does seem to have been a a very uh, disturbing character, um, even by the standards of middle-aged, powerful white men in Hollywood in the fifties and sixties. Yes, not one I, of the I, good I, ones. And maybe the stories that have come out about him don't feel, you know, like Harvey Weinstein level of of horror. But I have a nagging feeling that that's probably because it was the 50s and 60s rather than that's not what Hitchcock was like. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't want to get (laughs) sued or anything. Uh, It it just, uh, as Uh, a character... Dead people can't sue. That's a core principle of English law. Oh, good. Well, there we go. That's worth it. But it does seem like a, a, a flawed interesting character and i would be interested in sort of reading a biography as is to explore his psychology a bit more but maybe there are people more worthy of my time in some way <laughs> but there we are that's a hitchcock trilogy i haven't put you off hitchcock completely no, I, I, I would be open to some of the others at some point but let's watch some other things first absolutely well there we are i think uh the birds have gone from outside my window my eyesight is slowly returning um, I think that will be the end of our ribbon of memes, Hitchcock Sojourn, for the time being. Uh, uh. No, not the eyes, not the eyes. <laughs>